All right. Hey, what's going on, good people? Welcome back to another episode of The Black Codes. This is your co-host, Donald Robinson, here with the ever-intelligent, illustrious Savannah Bryant. Hi. And so we've got a special episode to bring y'all today. <laughs> we are going to kind of go off of the trail of what we've been on for our recent episodes, and we're going to talk about something very particular. Yeah. So, Donald and I love a good conspiracy theory. Um, ooh, they vary in, <laughs> in topics and even in depth in terms of, like, the magnitude of, um, like, what the theory is. And I thought about, like, looking up the actual definition of what a conspiracy theory is. So Merriam-Webster's definition is a theory that explains an event or set of circumstances as the result of a secret plot by usually powerful conspirators. And so obviously just like in the realms of America, there's a lot of things that you know, especially you and I, like having done so much research, we we kind of start thinking like this seems like a very concentrated effort, you know, to, in some regard, maybe not even necessarily at the beginning, like during slavery, but definitely post-Civil War and during the 1900s, like there is a like an orchestrated effort to keep black people I don't want to say oppressed, but oppressed, right? And these kind of like just ideas of this outside power source that expands well beyond the black experience. Like if you think about the Rothschild or we briefly mentioned in a different episode, the reptilians, like this, this idea that there's a group of like reptile, like aliens that are actually all the people in charge. They're like Queen Elizabeth and Prince um, Philip, who's her husband, who... I mean, <laughs> I don't know if y'all seen recent pictures of them, too. They're very old, um, both of them, like, well into their 90s. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but they're two of the people that are kind of, like, caught up in this reptilian conspiracy. Hillary Clinton is. I think they threw Barack Obama in there as well. Um there are loads of conspiracy theories and they kind of range all over the place kind of being like maybe there's a secret group of people that orchestrated an event to happen or maybe there's an orchestrated effort to tell an event in a specific way because you know like they might gain from the way that the story is told versus plotting out the actual event itself mm. And oh, so, like, <laughs> some of those people, you know, having a conspiracy theory in that way is beneficial. Yeah. I found something that, I remember the first conspiracy theory I ever got into. It was my senior year of high school. Okay. And it was the woman that I ended up going to homecoming with at the time. We had this class called career, was it career exploration or some shit. It was, like, a pointless class. And I remember it was December 2009, and she was like... Kanye West sold his soul to the devil. Oh. And I was like, 
wait, what? Mm-hmm. So she showed me this website called the Music Industry Exposed. <sighs> Was it, did they did they like also break down all the ways that like Jay Z and Beyonce were a part of the yes Illuminati? and Rihanna and uh, <laughs> they talked about Rain Man and all these different songs uh-huh. and how Rain Man was like a demon and <laughs> I mean the hey, I'm not gonna lie some of the shit was kind of creepy yeah like I had, there were like over a hundred videos yeah. I got through about sixty videos that's a lot and like I remember I explicitly remember the la- one of the last ones was like number fifty nine so I know it was in the sixties and I stopped but it just got so creepy that I was just like I'm cool off of it then I was kind of like semi dating really just kind of seeing this uh, this one chick she was um, she went to this other school she was into the Nuwabian thing. This is when you were in high school or in college? This was in high school. Okay, word. And uh, we actually, I follow her on Instagram now. We're actually, we don't really talk, but we, we spoke up probably to like sophomore year of college. Mm-hmm. But um, she was into this Nawabian thing, and they were like on, there was some really interesting things about vibrations and vibes and all this. But that kind of kick-started this exploration. Like I would, I had uh, privileges to leave school early like mm-hmm. I had most of my credits done and Wilkinsburg did not require you to stay at school after <laughs> so I was done with school by 10 30 and if I wasn't chasing around this woman I had met who went to Duquesne I was at home on the internet watching these videos from 11 in the morning until the sun went down Damn, and the infancy of YouTube yes the infancy of YouTube <laughs> in 2009 going to 2010 yeah. and um you know I got exposed to some interesting stuff like the reptilian things, masonry, and all those mm-hmm. conspiracies, and then I got into college and started looking into like secret societies, and you know, then the whole presence of college was like fraternities and stuff, mm-hmm. which were like technically secret societies. So I dove off on the deep end of looking into all of those, the hermetic groups, and then you know, the little Egyptian groups, and all these new world order type of things. It was so much, but one thing I found was that a lot of these conspiracy theories were actually based in strong religious views. Yeah. A lot of them were these type of theories that were very into the, kind of leading into the Christian apocalypse in some way. Mm -hmm. Like, they all kind of tail-ended there. Even when you look at, like, the Denver airport conspiracy theories, which the Denver airport has some really arguably questionable artwork in there. (laughs) If you don't know what we're talking about, you should look it up. Mm-hmm. But even that still goes down that pipeline. Like, I don't know of conspiracy theories that relate to the Quran. I don't know of conspiracy theories that relate to just agnostic or, like, atheism or, like, Eastern views of the world. They all are definitely in this very Christian worldview. I think there are absolutely conspiracy theories that relate to everything, but... I think um, in terms of just Christianity, while you probably see that a bit more, is because in in Christianity, they're kind of waiting for an apocalypse to happen. Like the whole last book of the Bible, <laughs> you know, Revelations is, is kind of like a foreboding and kind of telling, you know, expect some shit's going to hit the fan. And if you live right by God, you will, I guess, hopefully be a part of the rapture so you won't have to deal with that um but if not like you might have to deal with some dicey situations and some dicey situations are sure to come and christians have been saying the end of the world is nigh for centuries (laughs) like probably since they started translating fucking revelations they've thought the world the end of the world was happening and 
we don't know when that shit's gonna end. I mean, 2020, <laughs> 2020's been a questionable year. <laughs> I, you know, I've seen a lot of memes like, um, 2012 was what 2020, just like, it, 2020 I, was 2012 was supposed to be. Was supposed to be, yeah. Thank you for saving me because I couldn't remember the meme and like exactly. And I don't know if anyone remembers, but like 2012 was supposed to be the end of the world. Um, via the Maya, the Mayan calendar, and the world didn't end. <laughs> oh yeah, word. Um, Donald is showing me one of his rings that he got while he was in Mexico on a trip that I was that I fucking organized, but he went on by himself. <laughs> and I have the ring with the calendar and the powers. Yeah. So the world and like, and that was a huge thing. It was a huge thing in 2000, you know, people committed suicide. People went into bunkers really thinking that, you know, once the year 1999 ended, shit was just going to hit the fan. Computers weren't going to know how to like operate with the, like the new, um, millennia, whatever. And it didn't happen. We're still here. Um, we don't know when the end of the world is going to happen. I mean, I guess if you look at 2020, people might say it's close, but I don't know. There have been plenty of other years in the past where shit was hitting the fan left and right. There were world wars. Yeah. They just didn't have the internet to share all the shit that was going on. (laughs) There's so much that I think people almost just gaslight society yeah because our i I, you know and and for some of you who might be younger listening i don't really know maybe you're younger you're used to information being shared instantly but for some of you you're even older than we are maybe even double and so you remember a time where information went really slow like you had to read newspapers then it was like you mean or or tv but it was very kind of filtered and then there were more channels then there were phones, and then you could call people and send that stuff. And then in the 2000s, you could text people information. And then, boom, you get into the, you know, right pre-2010, you can go on the internet and find things. And so information goes around so fast that there's just so much more bad information that can get around quickly. And let's say there's an ever-constant percentage of assholes in the world at any given time. When you go from 4 billion people to 8 billion people, You've just doubled Doubled. in assholes. Yeah. (laughs) And there's something to be said for that. There is. And then you give them access to the internet. Like, you give them unfiltered access to kind of say whatever they want. That really opens the door for people that aren't necessarily educated on a topic to speak as if they are. And granted, there's been plenty of, of spaces in human history for people that weren't necessarily educated on a topic to talk as if they were. But the internet just kind of opens the door for that to happen tenfold, you know? Because you can literally be um, in your house in the, I don't know, in the middle of fucking Michigan, <laughs> in some small-ass city on a couch. You you don't know shit about shit, and yet you're writing dissertations on Facebook or, like, op-eds in, in newspapers and enough if enough people read it, it gets picked up and people will take that as a credible source when you have no credibility at all. And that's unfortunate. You know, it really opens the doors for people to abuse the internet, which I guess is kind of 
you know, there's the good and the bad, and you have to take both of those. Yeah. Um, and it's unfortunately the price I suppose we have to pay for being able to speak so freely. Two things. So, we're approaching 10 billion people. If just Ew. one in 10 people were assholes, there will be one billion assholes on the planet. Mm-hmm. If even three out of 10 people were easily influenced by them, just imagine where these numbers go. We don't have to imagine. Yeah, we don't have to. So, you know, when we think, when I think about conspiracies, like, you know, there's definitely some things that go on in this world far beyond our knowledge that are definitely foul. But I think there's just generally enough problems with enough just self-centered people yeah. Um, in this world. But this other thing, there's one particular conspiracy theory that I found that was really interesting to read about. And it came with the introduction of holograph technology. And there is this particular play that I've read about that probably will not happen because it's known. The fact that I can talk about it on this podcast means it's known enough. That there's this idea that people would holograph and fake the rapture in every major religion mm. to get everybody to think that the world was ending to then trump it with some other thing like this was an enactment, this was like some hoax, and trying to, in some fashion, to rile people into this kind of single singular view of religion in a way to kind of knock off Christianity, Islam, um, you know, Hinduism, Buddhism, and all these different things, that the major ones. Mm-hmm. Now, it has its flaws, of course, but yeah. it's totally a thing I've read about as a way to how can they create these holograph projections and these different things to happen in the sky so that they could reduce all of the different factions of people because in this idea of this one world government it's more efficient if some of the core beliefs of people are actually the same and when you have these super deep religious rifts that affect how we view everything in the world it makes it harder to keep the world in harmony i disagree i don't think that there is a lot of difference between religions it's just there's religious intolerance so people don't think they need to learn anything about another religion we talked about we talked about earlier how someone was that has no idea it's very clear they don't know shit about islam was talking from a place like as if they did if you knew anything about islam you would know that islam and judaism and christianity come out of the same thing but but you can there are people that will argue with you and say that allah is actually a devil like they think that islam is a demonic uh, religion. Totally read that. But, yeah. They think that Hinduism is a demonic religion. And granted, Hinduism is different. That is a completely different religion. It is not the same as Hinduism. But for for the most part, at the core of most, especially the major religions, it's all, it's all about just being a good person. And there are these laws that you're supposed to live by that will help you be a good person. And it's kind of just like the extra fluff that creates these divisions, not the religions themselves mm-hmm. and people in their pride and riding for an identity is what made those divisions deeper. I think that, you know, even like within Christianity, I mean, Catholics and Protestants have been fighting for centuries. That's the same fucking religion, you know? 
So if they if they can fight so much in house, they're definitely fighting with other people, and to the point where like they they don't even they don't even have to know what you're talking about. They don't care. You're not practicing what I'm practicing, Mm -hmm. so you're an enemy. Those rules and laws that people live by are so defining on what someone's life is going to be. Or, like, especially when it comes to prophets and how prophets and prophecies can be specific to one religion or another. And it's this idea that if you don't believe in what I believe or in the way that I believe it... It's beef. It's beef. Like, because now you're questioning my livelihood. You're questioning my existence, in a sense. Mm -hmm. And some people will hold... You know their religious views is their validity of existence in a sense and if you don't believe in what they believe or if you even dare to bring up to their face that you don't believe it then it's like you're questioning their whole life yeah and that can happen even within sex of the same religion yeah i mean that is what happens often and you know they say like pride what is the what is the the quote like pride Pride falls before a haughty man. There's something, like, pride falls first. Like, pride is the first thing to go. Like, if you're a proud person, that it's so easy to, um, damn, like, why can't I think of that quote? And Jay-Z says this shit a lot of times, like, several times. Um, Pride goes before a fall, but it's like a, okay, I found it. Proverbs sixteen eighteen, <laughs> pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Yo, pride really can is it can be to your detriment. Like as important as it is in kind of keeping you mentally um, safe, it can fuck your whole shit up if you let it. Like, like to like to your detriment. If you allow it, it can ruin relationships. It can ruin business. It can ruin your own self-esteem. It can, it can do bad things to you. Like if you did somebody, you know, the wrong way, but you have your this pride, pride is yeah. in the way, then you don't apologize when it's in. Not even just because it's the right thing to do, but it's in your benefit mm-hmm. to actually go and make a situation right, or. You know, you might have this view that, oh, well, they shouldn't have done that, and they should just know better. So your pride of not even want to call somebody out on their wrong Mm -hmm. because you felt like they should just know better, and it's, like, beneath you to go and make that move. Yeah, it's like, Like, no, my pride won't allow me to do that. But I find, like, pride on one hand can take people from taking the initiative on one hand and then on the other hand, it forces people to take initiative on things they really should have just let go. Yeah, for sure. So we say all this to say <laughs> conspiracy theories covered almost all walks of life. And so in trying to just get into something Donald and I enjoy without it being so heavy and like, ugh, you know, just so gross. I want to talk to you about (laughs) a conspiracy theory. It's not even really technically a conspiracy theory. It's just 
this idea that someone heard or read and then they fucking ran with that shit and then it was repeated and uh, written and just kind of given to us in mass and and because in particular it supports um some actions that maybe people shouldn't have been doing but if the bible says it's okay then it's okay then it's okay yeah so what i'm talking about in particular is the curse of ham and you might have read about it it's called the curse of noah pretty much the same thing yeah so if all my brothers and sisters out there want to crack their bibles to genesis chapter 9 verse 18 (laughs) i'm just gonna read you guys a few verses about this curse so yeah verse 18 starts with the sons of noah who came out of the ark were shem ham and Japheth. ham was the father of canaan These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. That's important for later. That was my input, not the biblical verse. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Verse 20. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. After the flood, Noah lived. This part isn't important. I just included it because I thought it was funny. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Noah lived a total of 950 years. And then he died. That comes from the, I believe it's called the NIV, the New International International Version. Version. We are not going to get into the whole year situation. Bruh. <laughs> We're not going to do that. People will argue. I got I've, I've had the argument. <laughs> I got another sci-fi series called the Sun Eater series. Uh-huh. And it takes place about 17,000 years past now. Humans have colonized most of the Milky Way. And part of their genetic uh, engineering were that the people of the royalty, who were basically the people who defeated the AI from San Francisco, this is actually a thing that's underlined in the book, they were able to get these augmentations that they can live for about six, 700 years. Mm. That was pretty interesting. It's like, man, back then, people were able to live for almost 1,000 years. Yeah, like, work. yeah, the Old Testament is all like that. There are some people that really believe that they live this long. I am more so under the belief that this is all a mistranslation. And we also have to think, like, this is the, the Genesis, you know, like the Old Testament that we have, we have that transcribed after centuries of only being like um like oral history and so then someone wrote it down that's completely separated from everything that's happening well i guess moses is the one that put the the old testament together for the first part of it i think i don't know that but i know the prevailing belief that it's inspired writing 
yeah um and this isn't a biblical podcast (laughs) so um yeah so i i wanted to talk about that i wanted to bring i wanted to read that passage because i think that it's important to understand what we're talking about so this curse that noah lays on ham is become is because um ham happens to see noah naked so there's a few questions that arise one Does Ham, well, does Canaan, because Canaan's actually the one that is punished, that's cursed. Canaan, who is Ham's son, does he deserve to be a slave just because he happened to walk into Noah's tent and see this nigga? I probably shouldn't call him nigga because there might be religious people listening and they'll think I'm being sacrilegious. But does the punishment fit the crime in this situation? Like, Yo, Noah, you were drunk and you passed out. I didn't know that. I was coming in here to get a fucking candle or some shit. I don't know what he was doing. Does that constitute me being punished? Like, I went out and I told my brother, like, my brothers, like, yo, dad's in there on some shit again. Niggas passed out drunk and naked. It's supposed to be a chilly night. Do y'all got a blanket for him? Like, mm-hmm. we don't know how this. And you niggas could have been petty. Right. <laughs> we don't know what actually happened, but... There are some arguments as to what did he do? Like, maybe this is just a kind of dry version and and we're not taking into context, like, what this is actually saying. So there's a few arguments that happen as to what Ham's transgression actually was. There's argument for voyeurism, for castration, for paternal incest, and for maternal incest. So meaning... Ham maybe saw Noah naked, maybe Noah was doing something sexual, and Ham watched him. Maybe Noah was passed out, drunk, and Ham decided to cut Noah's dick off. Um, Maybe Ham saw his father drunk and decided to sexually take advantage of him. Or maybe Noah was drunk in the tent and Noah's wife, who I don't know her name, was also Ham's mom, um, was in the tent, and Ham and her had a child. There was one other thing that I read. Yes. That's probably much calmer than all of those. Uh huh. Was that he just saw him in there, and then went and made fun of him. Yes. To his brothers, which we will get to. Um, but these are like four, I guess, pretty. I guess they're more serious. Not that the laughing things are more serious, but in earlier works when they're kind of transcribing and translating all of this shit, there are all these questions. They're trying to figure out. I mean, they find these scrolls and then they they transcribe them into becoming the Bible and the Torah and like other works, you know. And in a race to figure out what the fuck they were talking about. This is a creation story. It's the beginning of, you know, several religious texts. We want to understand what they were talking about. So in order to do that, people are trying to pull together. What does this mean? He saw his naked body. What's the actual transgression? It can't actually just be he happened to stroll inside and saw him naked. Maybe it could be, which is wild petty of Noah. Because like, (laughs) 
you didn't text me. Like I didn't know you was in there passed <laughs> you didn't out. Even text and, me. And maybe maybe Noah had a thing like, yo, after five o'clock, y'all know what I'd be in here doing. So don't come in here unless some shit's burning down. And Ham disregarded that. And so Noah said, oh, nigga, you don't listen. So now I need to punish you. Like, maybe he, like, fell off of his bed and made a loud noise. And he yeah. It's like, yo, we know he's in there getting drunk. Let me go check on him and make sure he's okay. <laughs> this nigga done passed out on his, on the, on, like, he fell out the bed. He's on the floor. His dick's hanging out. Like, let me go tell my brothers that our dad is in there, like, He could have been, like, 200 years or 100 years. For sure. Point. According to this, <laughs> oh, boy, could have been, yeah, like, like 200 and plus years he's could have he been like 80 yeah could have been 80. i would be young who knows um <laughs> yeah so there's all these arguments to try to figure out what this transgression is and the fact that ham is the one that's cursed yet canaan is punished so the maternal incest thing comes into play because maybe Canaan was um, offspring of Ham and his mother's sexual union, and that's why Canaan is punished. Or I think more what people feel more towards is the fact that Ham had, God had blessed Ham already. And so therefore Noah couldn't curse Ham, but he could curse his son. It's also important to note that, that Noah, Ham, and his two brothers Shem and Japheth all had wives at this point. This is post the ark. So this is after God got pissed off at all the other niggas walking around and said, you know what? Y'all niggas, I'm tired of you. We're just going to start this shit over. So at this point, he was actually over 600 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Because he lived for another 350 years after the flood. Oh, yes. Yeah, exactly. Why does that matter for the Black Codes? Why are we talking about this? (laughs) So Ham gets translated a bunch of times so just the bible and these texts get translated a bunch of times and through one of the translations ham gets interpreted to mean hot dark or black and so what ends up happening is um ham is looked at as so what i what i said earlier this is important verse 19 where it says there were three sons of noah and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth so there's this idea that ham is actually the father's the father of black africans and he ends up being cursed and you know this is a patriarchal society at the time so even though they don't say canaan and all of your descendants are cursed when you're talking at someone and you're cursing them like that and you're saying you will be a, a slave to your brothers, may this house prosper, may this house prosper and you will be a slave to them without having to say your descendants are going to be cursed. It implies you and all of the people that come from you are going to have to live under this, you know, under your position now. I am telling you you are now a slave, so all of your descendants will be slaves to your brothers and if to his cousins and all of that shit. And so if these three people are the people that make up the human race, now that opens the door for, so black people, <laughs> y'all's forefather was out here fucking up. And so now you're cursed with slavery and that's just what it is now. Like that's your life, that's your lot. And this was something that was 
taught. Yeah. As we look into um, European justifications for slavery, for colonialism, like these, like this was something that was taught and pushed out there. Yeah. Like pastors are preaching this shit like to their congregations and there's a pastor in particular his name is benjamin palmer he's a new orleans presbyterian pastor he is the leader of the southern american presbyterianism organization he found he is the founder of the southern presbyterian review which is a newspaper and he writes many articles that are around southern presbyterianism he is a chair member and on the committee and on boards to establishing church policies. So this is someone that's respected in the community, you know? Like, think about the 1800s in, in America. The church played a large role in just the day-to-day, you know? The pastor was someone to be respected and revered, and you listen to him, and he's an authoritative figure. So if he's writing, like, dissertations, essays, on this he's preaching about it in his sermons people are going to listen (laughs) people are going to believe him and he starts to talk he really opens the door to read and interpret the bible through this racialized lens and we i really want to stress to you that religion was much more important in early America sure. than a lot of people let it on to be. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people who mentioned, like, you know, they talked about the separation of church and state, and yes, that was a thing. But if you look at, like, you know, the early English who came here in, to Jamestown, Virginia, when you look at... For religious Col- freedom. For religious freedom and, and their colonial efforts for Protestants. When you look at Christopher Columbus, you know, coming to the Americas, like he called this a blessing from God, you know, to the, to the Spanish king. And when you look at the Mayflower, there was uh, the group of people who came from the Mayflower. They left um, Britain, I think it was England, to go to Holland to go set up their own little religious sect, but also realized they couldn't do that in Holland. So then they decided we're going to go to the New World. Mm-hmm. And part of their kind of covenant that they made was that they were going to be the true Christians and they were going to follow God's word their way mm-hmm. and tie that in with the government a little bit so they didn't get the sponsorship to go. And boom, here they come across the Mayflower. Uh, so like religion was very important to early Americans. Yeah, I think that's something we don't even really recognize because we think about, oh, religious freedom, even though there's clearly not religious freedom, niggas can't practice Islam in peace. <laughs> like we talked about that earlier. Um and I think a lot of the whole religious, the, the separation of church and state comes kind of comes from the founding fathers who we all know, maybe we don't all know. There are books and books and documentaries and articles and like grad school papers about all the shit that the founding fathers were doing that was not even close to a church. <laughs> But that does change, like, that's them. The general, like, the the people, like, the citizens, and especially when you get into um, kind of post this idea where a, they never claim to be an atheist country, but kind of post the separation of England. Like, we're our own space now, we can operate how we want. And even till this day, 
we expect the pat we expect the president to like go to church for certain occasions you know like they have it's a whole prayer thing breakfast. exactly it's a whole thing Which, if there's a conspiracy there's very some very interesting stuff about the origins of the prayer breakfast and how that was developed to be able to wield a very strong political pull but yeah another day. that is for another day <laughs> um yeah so so the eight the 17 1800s this idea that the curse of Ham justifies slavery, that's not the first time that comes up. It, it comes up kind of several times um, post-transcribing this shit, obviously, because of the translational issues and errors, but really catches hold in the 17th and 18th century in Europe and America. And people are running with it. Pastors are running with it. And people are listening to it. And something that I thought was really, really interesting, what you kind of mentioned earlier, was the transgression itself, whether there was some wild sexual offense that happens, doesn't even seem to be the thing that matters. What they double down on in the South is this idea that Ham could have laughed at or embarrassed Noah for telling other people, for telling his, even if it was his his two brothers, Noah's other sons, his two oldest sons. He embarrassed Noah. He laughed at him. And that's like a violation of family loyalty. That's dishonorable. So the punishment and we're talking about the South. I don't know if you know anything about the South, especially like the old South, just like kind of these ideals. Yeah, these ideals being loyal and being honorable and being respectable are something that they take very world pride in even today this like southern hospitality like the way that they act the manners there's this idea that like you go into the so i definitely had to go into houses because the household was like go into houses and address people as ma'am and sir because that was the rules of the house and while my mom never made me do that, she always made me respect the rules of whatever house I was in. So if their house rules was you call the elders, the older people, ma'am and sir, then that's what you do. If not, call the miss or mister or aunt or uncle if it's a situation like that. That is something that my mom taught me. And it's something that I feel like a lot of, there's a lot of that with black people that I think comes more from slavery than a real set of necessarily being mannerable and respectful because it's kind of, it was beat into us mm-hmm. to speak like that, right? You, all there's all these jokes about like white kids and how they address their parents. Some of them just like call them by their first name and shit. You don't see that shit in the South, really. Like, they're still calling niggas ma'am and sir, like white people. Like, there's just this aspect of, like, politeness and how you talk to people and order and um, keeping the shit in your house, in your house. And so Ham fucked up (laughs) embarrassing Noah like that. And so being punished to slavery is justified and it and it opens the door for this idea that like blacks are introduced so this is one of the ways that we talk about how the bible is used as a weapon often this is one of the ways it was done like they're literally pulling strip scriptures and 
talking about certain things to justify slavery. In this kind of situation, they're talking about Ham, Noah's son. He transgresses, he does a transgression upon his father and is punished. And it kind of goes to open the door for how black people introduce like rebellion and disorder. And we're, th- we're talking about Old South. We're talking about when slavery is in full form. The Old South's biggest fear is a fucking slave rebellion. They're scared shitless, like day by day. They're on nerve, like they're on edge, thinking that the slaves could literally rebel against us at any fucking time. And controlling the slaves were was like a major deal. And we talked about in an earlier episode about, you know, history of police, that the Southern police was literally just slave patrols and being able to keep order with that. And one thing we don't want to let go is that in this whole curse that Noah passed down, it was that it was with the it's it's interpreted with the implication that Ham's descendants were black people. Yes. There are some versions of this interpretation that say that uh, there was one I read that talked about these three brothers mm-hmm. have different skin complexions. So mm-hmm. they talked about as people kind of intermated over time that like Eve wasn't as dark skinned as Adam was. And so as it got to Noah, Noah's wife was a different complexion than he was. And so Shem was supposed to be like white mm-hmm. and Japhet was supposed to be more of this browner to yellow type olive, olive yeah. Mediterranean type mm-hmm. in that um, Ham was dark skinned and so him being cursed was that the whole line of dark skinned people were going to be cursed and then like Japhet's people were I guess supposed to be more the easterners mm-hmm. and then you get you know Shem and the northerners there's a different interpretation that said that Ham was made to be black after that. Yeah, for sure. That happens uh, several times with the Bible. So the, the reason why this is kind of tricky is because there are loads of arguments as to where these things took place. What do, the, what do all of these like biblical characters actually look like, depending on where the locations are will kind of dictate that. There are people that say all of this shit happened in Africa. There are people that say all of this shit happened in Israel, present day like Palestine, like that kind of the Fertile Crescent. Um, and there, I'm sure, are people that will argue that this shit happened in Europe. <laughs> and this is all on the foundation of a creation story. Yeah. So it sets the tone for explaining how we got here and explaining human history and even the whole thing with like Adam and Eve if you're thinking about this story in particular Noah and his sons were supposed to be the only ones that lived so everyone else died so it doesn't really matter what no what Adam and what Eve looked like because any descendants that they had outside of Noah and his three sons weren't alive anyway um how I don't want to do this I don't want to attack the Bible right now it's just I just have questions like you have three sons that are all racially different coming from the same dad uh okay sure whatever but this is that's not important (laughs) um what is important is this is the kind of the first time that 
God decides to not intervene. Like Noah sets this punishment on Canaan and God doesn't intervene at all, which I think is kind of interesting. And so it it allows for, I think if you're reading that, God is the one that is generally in power and is generally generally the one that is, you know, um, giving out punishment and giving out consequences to actions that he doesn't agree with. And Noah, this is the time that Noah takes it in his hands to punish an action that he doesn't deem fit. I think it empowers white listeners to say, oh, well, if God has established this order and Noah knows where his lane is, where his power is, and he is punishing Canaan, I have that power. Mm -hmm. And this goes into, in evangelical white Christianity, from the best that we can research, and there's plenty of research widely available, this was a, you know, one of the big beliefs that carried in that arguably still carries. There is still um, a lot of question if these things are still taught in some of these really private, you know, sects. Mm -hmm. But this was something that was praised in, you know, when you think about the white savior mm -hmm. in the sense that they actually really believe this. So not even just on the tip of, oh, well, we have right of dominion over them, but, oh, those savages over there, we need to baptize we them. We need to. And we need to bring them into Christianity. Yeah. So there were some of them who viewed slavery as a positive, or in colonialism for that matter, as a positive thing for Africans because it would baptize them and bring Christianity to them. And there are Africans and African people of African descent who also believe in this as well. Yeah. And, and yeah, go ahead. And so... You get this as a part of the foundation of race relations in America. And so even when you think about the Civil War and you think about abolitionist movement, um, the people who were in America, even still now, it's more pronounced, who tend to be not as strong-hearted about some of these fundamental religious things tend to be in the north of the U.S. And the Bible Belt has its name for, for a reason. reason. <laughs> and so, you know, the northern abolitionists and, you know, there were some in the south who are pushing for this, they're also not just fighting about the, whether it just seems like a good idea for America to have slaves or if it's not actually the best policy, but, you know, in, in the southern economy and how important it is to them, they're also fighting against the southern's religious views and religious views dictate how you live how your worldview is and you believe you know your life to be prescribed in a certain way or how you how you end up dying goes a certain way and how you why you're alive it free frames everything and so mm -hmm. here are these people telling you that you shouldn't have slaves and that this is wrong and you're know, trying to get you to humanize your slaves and you're like no they are you know they're cursed they yeah. need this. And God said this, that this is in the word. This mm -hmm. is in the Bible. And they believe that without their dollars. Yeah. Like we are only exercising what God has told us to exercise. You know, like our pastor is telling us this and we believe him. Like 
y'all can come in here. You don't live down here. You don't. You're not a part of my community. We don't see you day to day. I don't know you. Fuck out of here. Like this is something that I've been hearing since I was a kid. This is something that I continue to hear through someone that I respect way more than you. I'm gonna believe them. And when you think about even in more modern day, when you look at the fight for black people to get more rights, to actually be able to enjoy the American way in the same way as everybody else. And so you look at, you know, the Reconstruction, you look at during the Jim Crow era, you look at during labor fights, civil rights, you know, there is this strata of society and evangelicals at times and in the, in the, in these particular types that people that hold these beliefs We'll look at it like, well, it's supposed to be this way. Mm-hmm. And you look at how they live. Look at Chicago and how many, how much they kill each other. Look at, you know, the black on black crime, and you look at these, and they, they justify this strata of our society in that way. When you think about, uh, you know, slightly to a slightly different tune, going to these other places, the evangelical, you need to go out and profess and go find people. And they're not going to France, where there is a very high atheist population in Europe. But I don't hear about them going to the Europe to go proselytize. They're going to the Amazon. They're going to the you know southern southern East Asian islands. They're going to Africa to go do a lot of this work um, to these you know cursed people and to these people who are savages. And on the other end, guess who likes to go along with them? Shell and Exxon and all these other mining companies who, oh, we're going to paddy along with these evangelicals. Yeah, they're not too far behind. I remember there was a story. Did we talk about this? There was a story that happened a few years ago. Um, some guy, some missionary was trying to go to this like remote. It wasn't an island. He was just trying to touch like a remote community. And everyone had told him, like, yo, don't go there. Like, they don't fuck with y'all. They oh, that place South you. India, maybe? It wasn't in South India. It was someone that got killed there. There's a place that's yeah, still untouched. and <laughs> so he didn't listen, and he went, and they killed him. <laughs> and it's like, you guys, maybe in your heart, like, maybe the people on foot, you do really believe that you're saving souls or whatever, but it's hard, you know, like, I don't want to bash Christianity and bash people that do this mission work, but there is this kind, there's this question of, like, you're for, you're forcing your religion on people, you know, like, if you open up schools and say the only way you can go to the school is if you convert to this religion, that's, what do you call that, And when you think about, in these third world countries, the best schools are these private schools, even here, yeah. not, not even just in third world countries, even yeah. here. The best schools are often, especially Catholic schools. And so there is this trade-off of we're going to, we believe so much in what we believe that we're going to put all of our you know, money that we fund together into being able to give you a, what, what's actually usually a pretty good education mm-hmm. in the tangible what you need to know but the trade-off is we are going to teach you our way of life. We're going to strip you from your culture and from your heritage and from your background. And we're going to expect you. That, I mean, that happened with the Native Americans when they would send them to school. They would give them um, a Christian name and 
and force them to take their braids out. They would cut their hair. They would put them in English clothing. And it's like, well, if you really care about my well-being, why do I have to do all of that? Mm-hmm. You know, and if you educate me, like under what you're saying, if I'm educated, then maybe I'll just get there on my own. But you're forcing this on me. You're making me do this to learn. So I could maybe really be interested in going to school. I could be really interested in, in gaining an education. Do do I want to do it more than I want to keep my background? I don't know. Mm. You know? Like you about in Australia yeah. and how they handled the aboriginals and like yeah. they took them from their families. Yeah, and I then mean that happened readopted in, in North them America to the white well. families there. Yeah. And part of that was Christianizing them. Yeah. When you think about even like I mean Asian people that, you know, that come here for school and while they, you know, may or may not hold on to whatever their family beliefs were that were not Christian, they all take these Christian names and I don't know if it's because they're taking strictly just Christian names, or if they're just taking names that they no, deem white. No, I think white. they're taking a lot of American. They're just, they're just taking, taking American names. I don't. I don't meet nobody who come over his names like my name is Jawan Sin. <laughs> like yo, my name's Jerome, <laughs> and you know some other Chinese name after that. Yeah, I've met I've met like some people that have had interesting like American names. Um, damn, what did I watch? I watched something, or maybe I read an article. I remember reading this, like, guy's confession. So he he was born in Korea, but he moved to America when he was very young. And his parents used to piss him off all the time. So he, his, he chose the American name Richard because he knew it would be hard for them to say. And he did that to spite them, <laughs> which I, that's petty as fuck, but I always thought that was kind of funny. Um, yeah, I've heard a variety of quote unquote, like American names that people from different places have taken on. And I, I think part of that is depending on where you go, um, especially if you're going to a super white area, they're not even going to try to pronounce your name properly. <laughs> so you have to you have to meet them at their level and give them something that they're used to, you yeah. know? But, you know, looking at this aspect of how does this notion of the curse of Ham affect us even still today? It goes, when you look at right now, some of these really far-right um, religious political sects, there is a serious question to be asked of, do they still teach this? When you go into some of these schools, some of these churches, of these really far-right evangelicals, is this a thing that is taught? And I do specifically mean that particular sect because, you know, there's a, there's a number of research um, pieces out and ones that I were reading earlier that talk about if you want to go find a group of people who are down to do some racist ass shit, you have a better chance of going to a white church on a Sunday morning to find people for your cause than you do to go to a coffee shop in some suburban area in finding people for your cause. And that there, you know, some of this, these papers we're looking at, the more racist beliefs that you hold, the more likely you might be a white Christian 
compared to uh, an unaffiliated, a religiously unaffiliated white person. Yeah. And there is something to be said for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when you look at some of these movements that are, you know, looking at white supremacy and people who are actively justifying it, not people who are like, just trying to turn a blind eye, but people who are pushing that, it tends to come from this far right uh, viewpoint. And a lot of them come from these evangelical backgrounds that yeah. we are the supreme race and we're here to take care of you all. Yeah. And I just, I wanted to be very clear this episode is not an attack on Christianity. Like, we are very aware that the Bible was used as a weapon in like a multitude of ways. And it's something that I've always thought was very interesting. I think it's one of the reasons why you see a departure of so many young black people from Christianity, because they're kind of realizing the way that Christianity in the Bible was used to weaponize black people. It was used to justify slavery. It was used to keep black people enslaved and to an effect like after slavery it kept that there's an argument that it kept black people docile oh forgive oh turn the other cheek and not fight and stand your ground so there's there is definitely like a negative viewpoint that i think a lot of younger black people have um and and while this isn't an attack on christianity i mean the point the fact still remains the bible was used to defend and justify slavery. They were pulling out passages and going from translations that they didn't necessarily make. It was mistranslations from people that happened centuries ago that someone found and they were like, oh, this is just what I needed. I'm running with this now. And and to further, you know, just to drive that point, back in like the 16th, 17th, 18th century, the cartography of Africa wasn't as well developed as it is. Cartography of Africa right now like actually created, but yeah. it's another topic. But even then, of different tribes and empires, these the cart- yes, there were empires there for some of you who don't know. Um, the cartography wasn't the same. And so there were large swaths of Africa that, depending on the time frame, were called the Sudan or called Ethiopia, like like half of it. Like everything under the Sahara to certain people were called the Ethiopia um, or Egypt even in some of these old maps if you look at 14th, 15th, 16th century maps. Because they didn't know what was down there. They didn't know what was down there except for like, you know, people on the coast. And when you look at the actual timelines, Ethiopia actually had the first state-sponsored Christian government in the world. The Rome Rome had Christianity there, but the story of um, this was stuff that is very uh, well researched and found. What year is this? Um, this was in the was it third century? Okay, the early part. So Constantine established Christianity in three sixty three, mm-hmm. and I know that date, but I don't know the other date. But mm-hmm. I do know that I had read while I was in Ethiopia, as well as in like just researching this topic altogether, like this was years ago, that this was found as the state religion of Ethiopia prior to. It was already in Rome before it was in Ethiopia, but, are they but it not, wasn't the Roman religion yet. But are they not counting um, any place in like the Middle East? 
In the what? In the Middle East. Yeah. No, no. They were saying that those places did not have it as the as state, state government. government. It wasn't that they didn't have believers. Ethiopia mm-hmm. did not have believers first. Mm-hmm. But when the Greek Orthodox brought, at least the way that the story goes, when the Greek Orthodox, there was a particular person, brought Christianity to Ethiopia, they adopted it at the highest level almost immediately. Hmm. Interesting. I'll have to do some more research. But, well, like, they don't teach that part. And so, you know, some people, you know, some black people are not into Christianity. And often Christian, black Christians who are a little bit more knowledge-based in overall history often bring this point up when they talk about Christianity being in Africa before slavery. It yeah. was in Ethiopia. It was in the Sudan. It was in Egypt. It was in this kind of horn of Africa area that is politically at, at oftentimes a little bit more tied to the Middle East sometimes. Um, even back in ancient times, but you know, when we're talking about the Europeans and their wielding of this, they're not teaching them that. Oh, people from your own continent already have these things. They weren't. It's not like they were teaching them in the 19th century. Oh, you know, there is this Ethiopian kingdom of Christians. They're not teaching them that. No, that just that does nothing. It does it does nothing for their mission. Yeah. So of course not. But I think that um, so the curse of Ham. Definitely look it up. Read the passage. There's a lot of arguments about what the transgression itself actually was, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, there are loads of other passages in the Bible. I, like, kind of reading through the curse of Ham, I found out about the curse of Cain, which I didn't know. And he's also kind of used as, um, you know, someone that did something really bad. Obviously, Cain killed Abel, and his punishment for that is turning black. Um, the man, I believe his name is Nimrod, the man that created the Tower of Babel, he is also black. So they're telling these stories of people that have created ruckus and destruction, and they're putting a black face on them specifically to kind of show that, like, yo, from way back, niggas haven't known how to act. So they need to be enslaved. They need to be in a servitude position because when they're not they this is the kind of shit that they do (laughs) like this is what happens so for all of you who are like yo what the hell did i just listen to (laughs) (laughs) for real (laughs) next time you are lounging around on a friday night and you're like wow what should i do this is something for you to look up on your own and you know this episode is a little different because you know depending on where you fall about things, this is or is not fact, and um, in the way that we look at other issues, but it is something that has a very, very real effect on how, you know, on, on how black people were treated here, how we even were brought to be subjugated, yeah. and how people still view us today. Yeah. Because you do find more of these racist you often find more of these racist attitudes in that kind of the closer you get to these 
you know, white evangelical southern churches. <laughs> you keep doubling down far on that. right. I mean, that's just what the studies it, look at. It is very specifically. I, they're not talking about yeah, white northern no, Baptists. No, you're you are very correct. I just like I don't want people to think that we're talking about this just because we're attacking Christianity. I mean, but we're not attacking. No, no, we're not. But I mean, the facts do still remain. I mean, this is a thing that I mean, you're correct. You know, looking at how the Bible's wielded does not speak about the Bible itself. It is just looking at how a group of people interpret it, it and then affect American policy. Yeah, but because I think these people affect policy. But it's still important to make sure that that's clear because you know when we're talking about religion is hard. This is people's full identity. Some of you guys just might have to have a conversation with your pastor <laughs> about some of this if it was trying for you, but. I mean, it's a it's a real thing. I mean, unfortunately, some of your brethren that, you know, ride around with Christian capes on aren't the most Christianly. Your problem isn't with us. Your problem is with them. Go check them. So make sure you take a look at what that is. Make sure you also like, subscribe, and share the Black Codes. Um... Hopefully you've enjoyed this and you've learned something new or you found something new to look into. Maybe. Hopefully. (laughs) And uh, we will see you next time. We have uh, a lot of good things on the way. So make sure you stay tuned and you share this with a friend. Leave us a comment. Shoot us an email at theblackcoatspodcast at gmail.com about some of your favorite conspiracy theories as well. Um, And other things that you would think that we should know more about. But with that, we are out on this one, and we will see you next time on The Black Codes. Bye.